actually leave the lights on for me, Haley. We don't have a message trailer because today is not part of a series. Normally, uh, when I get to uh, get to preach, it's part of the series and I uh, kind of just continue with what Pastor Rusty has been talking about, but uh, I don't know if he just didn't want me to talk about money or I'm just kidding. Uh, he told me today um, to just share what was ever on my heart, what I felt like God had for us today. And then we're starting a new series uh, next week talking about living in uh, a Babylon culture, right? We don't live in Jerusalem anymore. Our world doesn't look like it used to. And so I'm excited about that series that Pastor Rusty has coming next week. But today I get to just share what I feel like God has been speaking to me. And this is something that has been on my mind. And let me preface the whole message by saying this is not something that I feel like I have figured out. All right, this is not something that I feel like I've done 100% on, probably far from it at different points in my life. But this is something that God's been dealing with me on and I wanted to challenge you with as well. Really, it goes back to a recent uh, lesson that our pastoral team was going through. Uh, we go through different books uh, every so often, and we were doing a Right Now Media course on uh, the dimensions of self-leadership, because we know that we can't lead others well unless we're leading ourselves well. And in that uh, lesson, the presenter, Jenny Catron, quoted uh, Beth Grable's three steps to self-awareness, and I found them pretty interesting. They were awareness of self, that one's obvious, awareness of others, makes sense, and awareness of how others experience themselves around you. That one stood out to me. That's something that I've never really thought a whole lot about before. How do others experience themselves when they're near me? In other words, how am I impacting those people? I think ultimately it's asking us to consider what effect do we have on other people? What impression are we leaving? And as I began to think through this, I, I kind of started applying it to uh, our teams at school, and I'm planning on challenging them with this a little bit as well. And I kind of reframed the question a little bit into, into this. How are rooms different when I'm no longer in them? How, how, are, how are people different when I'm not around them anymore? Have I left anything with them? And, and when you dive down that rabbit hole, you can kind of gain some perspective, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but beginning to ask, does it change at all? Have I left any impact? Does it get better when I leave? That's a challenging statement. Do, do people get happier when I'm not there anymore? It's dangerous, right? Am I bringing others down or is there truly something missing when I'm not there? Do others need me in the room? Do others need me to be who God has created me to be? Now, obviously, the answer to that last one should be yes, but I'm not sure how often we live up to that ideal. I'm not sure how often we fulfill the God-given role that he's given us to, to impact the world around us for the kingdom of God. And it's easy to think about this and think, oh, you're just being uh, self-focused, you're being selfish, it's a, it's a selfish thought process, but the truth is that God cares about how we impact others. It's not about us getting the attention because, oh, I was so encouraging. No, it's about God caring about how we 
encourage others. And we get this clearly stated actually in Proverbs 22 verse 1. And this is kind of the the central thought of today. Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. So instead of pursuing money, instead of pursuing status, pursue a good reputation. How do people think and feel when they hear your name? When when somebody brings up your name in conversation, what's the first thing that comes to their mind? What is the impression that you left on them? What reputation do you have? How does the room change when you aren't there? How do others experience themselves around you? You see, the best reputation that we could ever have is to live the way that God has called us to. God gave us simple, yet not necessarily easy, roadmap to follow in Micah 6, 8. Micah 6, 8 says, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so I think that's how we get the good name. That's how we get the good reputation. And so this morning, we're going to examine those three things a little bit, that as followers of Christ, the clearest part of what we do, the clearest part of our reputation should be known as someone who does what is right, who loves mercy, and walks humbly with our God. The first of those, very clearly, is to do what is right. It is virtually impossible to have a good name to have a good reputation if you are consistently doing the wrong thing. (laughs) They're kind of antithetical to each other, right? To have a good name, you've got to do the right thing. It sounds so basic, and honestly, everything this morning is probably nothing you haven't heard before. It's probably a little bit of a back-to-basics kind of message, but I think sometimes we need that reminder. But we've got to do what is right. Well, then if that's the first step, then we've got to ask the question, what is right? And so I think the first area of doing what is right that we need to be aware of is that we need to love his law. We need to learn to love God's law. See, it's really easy in our current culture, even in the current church culture, to be so consumed with grace and mercy that we forget that God has standards. And we forget that God does have laws, but I love the way that Psalm 119 talks about the laws of God. If you, if you don't know, Psalm 119 is this massive chapter, and every verse in there has a reference to the laws of God. And here's just the first section, verses 1 through 8. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. You have changed us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I would not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. There's a prayer to pray right there. Please don't give up on me. 
recognizing that we don't have it all together. God, I want to learn your ways. God, I want to learn your laws. I want to know what is right. I want to do what is right. Don't give up on me because I know what I did yesterday because I know what I did the day before that, right? We, we know what it actually looks like in practice and we know what God has called us to and we know that those two things don't always look the same. But God has called us to love and to follow his laws. If we're going to follow his instructions, this is a basic idea right here. If we're going to follow the instructions of the Lord, then we have to know what they are, right? If you're going to follow the rules, you gotta know what the rules are. Around here, we say it like this, that the Bible is our guidebook for living. The Bible is important. This is why our Bible reading plan as a church is so important and so vital, is because we have to know what God's word says, otherwise we'll follow what anyone says. If we're not seeking out God's word for ourselves, then we can be swayed by anyone who says anything that sounds good. Our, our youth uh, at Hope Youth on Sunday nights have been walking through how to study the Bible for yourself. And that's been really intentional because I don't want our teenagers to rely on what Pastor Ben says, right? I, I don't, because if they begin to rely just on whatever I tell them, then when they go to college, they're gonna rely on whatever they hear from anyone there. If they rely just on Pastor Rusty, then maybe they move out and they move on and, and they find a, a preacher online and they follow whatever Stephen Furtick says or whatever anyone else says, right? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with those pastors, but if we are constantly relying on people, then we're constantly relying on a flawed source. We've got to get to God's word for ourselves. And for Hope Youth, we've been using a simple model, which is observe, interpret, contextualize, and apply. It's not as easy to remember as some other ones, but I like it because uh, step one of observe is just read it for what it says. Don't, don't try to figure it out all at once. Just see what it says. Who, who's in the story? Okay, we got Jesus and the disciples. What happened? Well, he healed somebody. Cool. That's observe. We don't have to get deep right off the bat. What actually happened? And then we look at interpret. Now is where we get a little bit deeper. Well, what, is, what does that mean that Jesus would heal somebody? What, what does that mean that the disciples were being taught this? And then contextualize, that's kind of a funky one, but basically all that means is how does this fit into the overall story of scripture? Because if we don't look at it in the context that it's actually supposed to be in, then we may see something that's not actually there. Right? If we just read one verse and pull that out and say, well, this is what I'm holding on to. I've got my interpretation, but it doesn't fit with everything that God's saying around that, then we're not getting what God's actually saying. And then we got to apply it. See, too often, though, we want the application first, or we have what we think the interpretation should be, and then we go find the scripture that backs that up, when really that scripture doesn't back that up. When we should be digging in God's word, seeing what God actually says. You see, I don't care what model or method you use. Just get into God's word and let him work on you. Make sure that you're seeing what God says and not what you want God to say. I love the way that verse 7 said it in Psalm 119. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. That should be our relationship with God's word. That we get into it. God shows us something in his word and we thank him by actually doing it. How different would our world be if everyone who claimed to be a Christian actually did the things Jesus said to do? 
That's a, that's a novel thought, right? It's a novel idea, but I'm pretty sure our world would look a little bit different. This should sum up the life of a Christian. Learn about the way God calls us to live and then thank him by actually living that way. The truth, though, is, as we know, we are far from perfect. We're not perfect. We don't always get it right. We won't always get it right. So the second component of doing what is right is to repent when we fail. In other words, we got to own up when we don't show up. Right? We, we've got to own up when we mess it up. Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to pretend it didn't happen. This is one of the greatest lessons I learned as a kid is that if I did something at school, I better be the first one to tell my parents about it. Because if they find out about it from someone else, it's going to end up a whole lot worse than if I was the one who told them myself. Anybody else have those kind of parents, right? That we've got to own up to it. We need to, to prayerfully examine our lives that we are living. I love the, the passage of scripture that Pastor Rusty uses every time we do uh, communion. And it's from, from David, who's writing this psalm, and he's messed up, and he knows it. And after being called out on it, he humbles himself, and this was part of that prayer in Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God. And know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path everlasting. Here's one thing I love about that. He's already been called out, but he's still willing to pray this and say, hey, if there's anything else that offends you, let's deal with that too. In other words, it's, it's almost like that, you know, you did something. I, I had a conversation with a student this past week, actually, and I, called him in the off, into the, the coaching office and I asked him what happened in so-and-so's class. And they go, you mean about the grades? Like hoping that was what I was talking about. And yes, that was what I was talking about, but it, you, you can see that nervousness of maybe there was something else that also happened in the class, right? That's how David could have acted. David could have say, said, oh, God called me out on this thing, but thankfully he didn't see all this over here. But no, he says, search me. If there's anything that offends you, let's deal with it. Lead me in your path. I love what Max Licato says, confession is not a punishment for sin. It's an isolation of sin so it can be exposed and extracted. See, when sin gets revealed, then it can be dealt with. While sin remains hidden, it festers and it grows. But when it's exposed, it can be dealt with. And that can be a painful experience or that can be a, hum a humble experience where we, we expose it ourselves. Proverbs 23, or sorry, 28, 13 says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. That's what it's about, owning up to it, saying, God, I know your laws because I've been spending time in your word. I know the way you've called us to live and I know that this area has not lived up to that. So forgive me. And then the crucial step, turn from them and receive mercy. That's what it looks like to do what is right. That's the first way that we have a good reputation is that we're someone who learns the right way to do it, does our best to do it, and owns up when we don't. That's the first way to have a good reputation. 
The second step then, according to Micah 6, is to love mercy. To love mercy. This one is, has become so difficult in our world because people are messy. The word mercy that's used here in Micah is most often translated as unfailing or faithful love. So really what it's saying here is that we need to love love. We need to love being loving. We need to love being merciful. To do what is right is to follow the law of God. To love mercy is to follow the heart of God. To, to, to act the way that God would act. To care about people the way that God would care about people. To see them as more than their failures. Because so often we see ourselves by our motivations and others by their actions. And, and this loving mercy idea is being willing to love other people no matter what. And really this idea of love and mercy is, should not be something that is shocking to us because we're even told in 1 John that God is love. So if we're to be like Christ, if we're to be like God, then why would we be surprised when we're supposed to love? That's kind of a central idea. Of course, we would be called to live in the character and heartbeat of our creator. And I love how clearly Jesus spelled this out for us in John 13, verse 34, he says, so now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. In other words, what he's saying is your reputation hinges on the way you love each other, right? It, it, our, our reputation starts with, are we doing the right thing? And then it continues with, how are we treating each other? Do we love each other? The way we love our fellow Christians should be a sign that we are followers of Jesus. The way we love each other should be our reputation. It should be our good name. We should love those in our church. We should love those at the way and at First Baptist. We should love those who we interact with online. We should love each other, even when we disagree, even when we're tired and haven't had our coffee yet. No matter what's going on, whoop, there's the end of the stage. We need to love each other. And again, this is one of those places where we've got to look at the whole of Scripture. Because if we just look at that verse, that's talking to the disciples. It's telling them to love each other. So if we just look at that, then, okay, sweet. People in this room right here, I think I can, now, now him over there, I'm not sure. No, I'm kidding. I think I can love the people in this room, right? I think I can love the people in the comment section on the live stream. But that wasn't the end of the story. We're not called just to love each other. We're called to love everyone. And that's a little bit harder of a concept. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 4.43, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as a true child of your father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. 
but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Do you have a reputation for loving people? For loving people who disagree with you, for loving people who talk different, look different, smell different, vote different, root for a different college, whatever it is. Do we actually love other people? Bob Goff said it pretty plainly in his book, Everybody Always. He says, Jesus talked to his friends a lot about how we should identify ourselves. He said it wouldn't be what we said we believed or all the good we hoped to do someday. Nope. He said we would identify ourselves simply by how we loved people. It's tempting to think that there's more to it, but there's not. Love isn't something we fall into. Love is someone we become. We try to complicate it. Well, well, no, I have to do this, 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 and this. I've got to do all these things. When so much of it is just simply, did you actually love them? Yeah, you could have told them the truth, but did you love them while you told them the truth? What is your reputation? Love others. Love is a pretty big deal. If you want a good name, if you want to follow Jesus, love. Just love. The second part of this idea of loving mercy is not just to love people, but to put some action behind that. And so the next blank there for you is that we need to serve others because true love will serve. True love's gonna do something about it. True love's gonna find a way to, to serve other people. One of the best examples I can think about in our culture right now is the issue of abortion. We can vote away we can post things on social media away. We can say that we're loving the unborn child, but if we don't go serve, how much loving are we doing? If we're not trying to provide a way for that child to be supported after it's born, are we being loving? See, love is more than words. Love takes action and it's messy and it's difficult and it takes time and energy and sometimes money, but love takes action. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in, uh, in verse 13 of Matthew 4, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? You can call yourself salt all day long, but if you're not salty, you're not salt. Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. See, I think so many times we try, to, we try to stand up for truth and that's good, we need to, right? We've got to do what is right. That was the whole first section. But if we do that and miss love, we've missed it all. We've got to do it in a loving way. We've got to be known as people who actually care about people, not just about an issue, See, our reputation, our good name of being someone who loves others enough to serve them doesn't just give us a good name. It points people to the name above all names. 
Did you see that? Verse 16, in the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise who? Your heavenly father. See, your good deeds are not so people can praise you. Yes, it gives you the reputation you should have, but ultimately our good deeds are are serving others out of a place of love. It should point people to Jesus. It should be about giving hope. See, when we start living this out, Jesus gets the credit. The best reputation that I could imagine having is one where people immediately think of Jesus when my name's brought up. At at my funeral, I want them to think of Jesus, right? When they're talking about me, when they're gossiping, I want my life to be so, it lived in such a way that their gossip has to be about my relationship with Jesus. (laughs) Here's a side side idea. Our reputation should be so strong that when somebody tries to slander us, people can't believe it. That's what a good name is. That's what a good reputation is. That's what it means to do what is right and to love others. That people can't even believe it when you're accused of something. Final piece to all of this. It's really hard to do what is right. In fact, it's impossible in our own strength. It's really hard to love and serve a lot of people in our world especially when we rely on our own attempt at goodness. You see, this last component is what makes the other two possible, is that it should be fueled by our relationship with God. We need to walk humbly with our God. If, it's, if doing what is right doesn't come from a relationship with God, it will not last. Christianity, a relationship with God, is not about a change in behavior. It's about a change in relationship. It's about going from someone who was an outcast to someone who has a personal relationship with the King of Kings. See, we can tolerate people. We can try to be loving and it may last us a week if it's not founded in our relationship with God. To do what is right is to follow the law of God. To love mercy is to follow the heart of God. And to walk humbly with your God is to build your relationship with God. And there's three ways that we do that real quick. The first one's prayer. If we are not people of prayer, it will be incredibly difficult to maintain a life of doing what is right and loving other people. Colossians 4.2 says it so simply, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Alert mind, thankful heart, as we're devoted to prayer. How good it would be to be known as people of prayer. Corey Tim Boom asked a brilliant question. Is your prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is it your steering wheel or is it sitting in the trunk? in case of emergency. How do you view prayer? Is it something that you just do before your meal because that's your habit? Or do you have a life of prayer? I wanna frame the question this way. Does your prayer look more like a Christmas list or a conversation with your creator? What does your prayer life look like? And guys, like I said at the beginning of the message, this all is pointed at me as much as it is anyone else. 
Is it about relationship with God or is it about punching the buttons on the cosmic vending machine and pulling the lever and hoping we get what we wanted? See, prayer is how we walk with God. Request and desperation are no doubt parts of that walk, but they cannot be the entire relationship. Think about every other relationship you have. If the only time you talk to your best friend, the only time you talk to your spouse is because you need something, how long is that going to be a healthy relationship? Not very, if they have any sense about them. But we treat God that way all the time. Not that God doesn't want to bless us. Not that God doesn't want to answer. He does. He cares. He wants to heal. He wants to move. He wants to perform miracles. He wants to do things in your life. But that's not all of who he is. So we also need to worship. We need to worship. Psalm 100, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with singing joy. Uh, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. His faithfulness continues to each generation. Our God is worthy of worship. Our God is worthy of our praise. Our God is worthy of every piece and ounce of worship we can give him, whether that's through song, whether that's the way we go and live our life, whether that's whatever, tithe and offer, whatever and however we combine all of that together, God is worthy of our worship. <clears throat> we need to worship God. In church, we need to worship At home, you need to worship. In the car, you need to worship. While you're working, you need to worship. While you're changing your kid's diaper, you need to worship. While you're waiting in the longest line ever at the grocery store to spend three times as much as you did five years ago, we still need to worship because God is worthy. Now, I wouldn't recommend standing in the Brookshire's line and literally shouting with joy to the Lord. I mean, context. Our lives should be worship. To walk humbly with our God is to live our lives as worship to him. And then ultimately, it can be wrapped up in these three words. Just seek God. Just seek God. We spend so much time seeking so many things that do not matter. James 4, 7, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. There it is. He will lift you up in honor. He will give you the good name. He will give you the good reputation if you are seeking him. To have a good name, to have a good reputation, to impact the people around us in the best way possible. We've got to do what is right while loving mercy and loving those who are around us and then walking humbly with our God. We cannot do it without that relationship with God. I love what verse 8 said there, come close to God and God will come close to you.
as Tisha comes to, to play. Once you think about these questions, what name do we want? What do we want to be known for? What reputation do you want? I want to be known as someone who sought the face of God. I want to be known as someone who was obsessed with God and living out his kingdom on this earth to the best of my abilities. I want to be someone who is known. I want to be known as someone who did their best through God's strength to do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Because if I could ever get close to getting those three things correct, it covers everything else. People are going to think positive of me if I'm doing what is right, if I actually care about them and I'm walking with God. And if they don't, maybe that says more about them than me. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. do you want to be known? What legacy do you want to leave for your kids, for your grandkids? What do you want said at your retirement speech? What, what do you want said at your funeral? What do you want people to know about you? God has called us. And he said it so clear. The Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. This morning, Tisha is going to lead us in one more song of worship. And I just want you to create an altar space wherever you need to. If you need to come down to the, the benches, if you need to turn around and kneel at your seat, if you need to go to a back corner, wherever you need to go and whatever you need to do this morning. I believe God wants to speak to us and show us one of these three or maybe more that we need to work on. Maybe you haven't been doing what is right and it's time to own up to it. Maybe, maybe you've been doing what's right, but you haven't been doing it from a place of love and God's got to work on your motivation today. Or maybe you've been trying to do the right things and you've been trying to care about people, but your relationship with God has been on the back burner. Or maybe this morning you've never had a relationship with God. And real quick, if that last one is you and you would say this morning, I need to start my walk with God. I, I haven't accepted the price that Jesus paid for me to come into relationship with God. And you would say this morning, I need to start that walk so that I can do what is right, so that I can love others, so that I can start to walk humbly with God. If that's you this morning, would you just quietly raise your hand? Would you let us know online at prayer, by emailing prayer at hopefamily.tv? 
Tish is gonna lead us in this song that just simply says that we'll build our life on his love because it's a firm foundation. See, when we do that, when we build our life on him, then we live out these areas and we have the name God intended us to have. As she begins to sing, would you just find a place to get alone with God and let him search you and let him know you and let him see if there's anything in you that offends him. And let's deal with it this morning. Let's stand up and worship him. Let's walk humbly with our God this morning.
God, Lord, show us who you are and lead us. God, give us your heart. Lead us in how to love others well as we do what is right, as we walk humbly with you. God, help us to live this out, Lord God. Don't let this be another message that we just listen to and say it was good and move on. But God, help us. Help us to live this out. This world needs some followers of Christ who have a good reputation. Help us to set that example and give people hope. God, you are good. We thank you for meeting us in this place this morning. God, I pray that you would be with our church family as we go throughout this whole week. I know many of you had an incredibly long week last week and they're already pre-tired for the next week. God, would you encourage and strengthen your people today? God, bless them, keep them, make your face shine down upon them, be gracious to them, and give them peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. It is Mission Sunday, so on your way out, our kids will be there for BGMC offering. Make sure to drop something in that bucket uh, as we teach our kids how to support missions.